Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Welcome to One Revolution's weekly name tags chat. Today, I'm super excited to have Kelly Brush joining us. Kelly and I actually share a lot in common in that we were both ski racers at Middlebury College. We both had accidents in which we became paralyzed and 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 she followed well after me, but but even after she had her accident, her coach, Forrest Carey, called me from the hospital to say, what's going on? Like, what? <laughs> What do we have to do? She's gone on the Kelly Brush Foundation is, is an amazing organization that is doing ski area or ski racing safety and then also donating uh, money for, for people to buy equipment, uh, adaptive equipment, everything from racing chairs and hand cycles to off-road vehicles to mono skis to everything, really. I mean, it's just there, there's so much great stuff and it's really cool. And the their anchor is the Kelly Brush Ride, which is, if any of you have not done this, it is one of the greatest things you can do. You don't have to ride 100 miles. You can ride 100 miles. It starts in Middlebury, Vermont, goes over to Lake Champlain, goes up Lake Champlain, almost to Burlington, and then comes back around the first weekend in September. It is... I mean, people go to Vermont for exactly this, for the weather, for the foliage, for all this stuff. And, and it's amazing. Well, last year, how many did you have? Did you have like 900 people or 1,000 people or? 900 riders. Yeah, we had 900 riders last year. And so we, you know, 1,000 people, including about 100 volunteers. So it's, it's absolutely amazing. And in my mind, I was telling Kelly this morning, we had a little call this morning and I said, in my mind, it's like a, it's like a Jimmy Buffett concert for old ski racers. You get like four generations of people who are all hanging out and have this common bond, but it's also, it's like a reunion people that you saw every weekend growing up, but now you're in so many different parts of the world that you might not ever see them, but you come back. And, and so it's really great. So the community is where Kelly really fits into our four S's of resilience. As you might remember, the four S's are the questions that we can ask ourselves when things go wrong. The first one, self. Am I a victim or am I a survivor? The second one is situation. Is it overwhelming or is it a challenge? If it's a challenge, it's like a game, we can win. So, uh, the support, are we alone or part of a team? This is where we're gonna talk to Kelly about this. And do we have one strategy or many? And I think we might get into a little bit of all of them. But when you had your accident at the Williams Carnival, did you have any idea of the support of the community that you had? No, no idea. I mean, it, it, it blew me away at the time. And thinking back on it and sort of like reflecting on it, it's amazing. Um, the community, the support that I had from the ski racing community, um, as well as the Middlebury community, is, was incredible. And, you know, people came out of the woodwork to support me, people that I didn't know. Um, I got calls from all sorts of people and letters and, you know, just the support was incredible. I got a call from Lindsay Vaughn, actually, at the time. She was like an up-and-coming ski racer. Um, so it was 2006, so it was uh, an Olympic year. Um, it was the Olympic year, actually. I, I remember watching the Olympics in my... Um, in my hospital room, um, of all things. But you know, like people came out and supported me way more than I ever would have thought. And it was humbling, you know? I was like, oh my gosh, who am I to have all these people like say they're thinking of me and, and wanna support me and help me through this crazy Humbling, but uplifting and empowering as well too. Like you sort of gain a greater sense of importance. I remember, for me, when I was in the hospital, I was in the hospital in Boston and the Middlebury team, I think was at the UNH carnival and they all drove down and they came in, it was a Friday night or something. And they all came in like in their jackets and stuff. They parked in some sketchy part in Boston, which is kind of like the way you can only find a place to park in Boston. And, and everybody else in the hospital is looking around like, what is going on? Like, what, what is this? What, who, who's this guy? Who's that? What, what, why are they all here? And I think it's, it's really cool. Now, when, when the Kelly Brush ride started, 
Now this started with, with the ski team, right? And what was, what was the objective and what was the outcome? Of yeah. The so, um, actually to go back to what you just said, I had, a when I was in rehab in Colorado, uh, after I got hurt, there was NCAAs at, um, at Steamboat and all of the Eastern teams came and saw me when I was in rehab. They all showed up. It was awesome. <laughs> and we like hung out in my, um, in my uh, uh, hospital room and stuff. Uh, so I had, Chris, we've got a, we have a lot in common. I think we have more in common than we even know. Um, but um, yeah, so to go to the Kelly Brush Ride. So, so that started, so I got hurt in February. Um, and uh, uh, my teammates basically said like, what can we do um, to support Kelly? And um, they came up with the idea of riding a hundred miles and raising money to buy me a mono ski. Um, and it was my coach at the time, you said Forrest. Um, he said, uh, he said, everybody has to raise a thousand dollars or you can't get on a lift next year. Um, so that was his, um, that was his way of getting everybody to raise money. And so it was about 25 people and they ended up raising like $60,000, um, which was incredible. Um, and they all came back. It was the first weekend of school. Um, we got together, we barbecued outside one of the dorms and, um, everybody rode, rode a hundred miles. I rode, I was like fresh out of rehab and rode on my hand cycle, like 10 miles. Um, which is a big deal then. You Which was a long way for me. Weak. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really long ride for me. So that was huge. Um, and, and, and since then, the Kelly Brush Ride, we've been raising money for the, the foundation, for the Kelly Brush Foundation. But it was that first ride that really set that off. It was like they did, they were, that was another place where the support was so incredible. It was like, you know, people had never, these were a bunch of college students who I don't think had ever really done much fundraising. Um, and they like reached out to a bunch of friends and family and people, you know, bent over backwards to, to support me, somebody who they probably had heard of, but that was about it. And it was amazing. Can you describe what a mono ski is and how much a mono ski costs? And then, and then you said that they raised $60,000 in this first ride. Yeah. So it was so, so a monoski is basically like a, um, it's a like bucket or chair that basically sits on one ski. Um, so you ski on a regular ski and, um, and I sit in that and then I use two like small poles with little skis on the end called outriggers. And I use those for balance and to help me turn. Um, and that's how I ski. So it's a really cool device. Um, the technology has come a long ways since it was first started. Um, but right now, I mean, they'll co it'll cost anywhere from like five to $10,000 for a mono ski. Um, maybe not 10, but, but eight or nine. It can cost 10 minute. easily. Yeah. You probably I mean, can get 10 and with a seed and, with and all outriggers. The, oh and, yeah. With all the extra stuff, definitely can get 10 or more. Right. I suppose. So, but, but, you know, five is sort of like an entry level mono ski, um, $5,000. So, um, so for them to raise $60,000 for me was amazing. And what I ended up doing was I put it, um, I put that all aside and used it only to buy adaptive sports equipment for myself. So I've been really, really lucky that over the last 14 years, I've had that money to buy adaptive equipment. So I've been able to get out and do all sorts of different sports um, more than they could have ever imagined. And something that's been really, was really important before my accident, was really important after I got hurt and learning about adaptive sports and how that um, allowed me to sort of feel like myself again and get back to feeling, to feeling like I could still be me and do everything I wanted to do. Um, um, you know, and, and just be able to live the life that I wanted to live, so. Do you have a favorite piece of equipment? God. Are you allowed to choose favorites? I know, that's like hard. Like your favorite um, child, you know I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Um, probably my most used piece of equipment right now is my off-road hand cycle. So I've got a hand cycle that I use on the road, which is just, um, which is great. And I, that's, you know, definitely one that I use a lot, but I use my off-road hand cycle a lot because I end up going, using it and going, doing things with my family. Um, so I've got two young girls, a one and a four-year-old. Um, and so I can take that, I put like a, um, uh, like little, 
um, little car seat kind of thing. thing in the back um, that tows my one-year-old and my four-year-old can ride her bike or walk. Um, and we'll go out in the fields around our house and go on, we live on a dirt road. So we go on a dirt road and go walk down to the farm down the road um, and do all this stuff just with my family. And it's so nice. Um, it's not necessarily like my hardest workouts, um, but it's like being outside and being with my family is, you know, that's those things that everybody wants to do and is really difficult for somebody in a wheelchair sometimes if you don't have the equipment that allows you to do that. It's funny you talk about that because it's almost like for me coming back to skiing, when I came back to skiing, one, that was sort of when I'd recovered. Mm. If I could ski again, it was, it was that it defined my recovery and okay, now I'm recovered. I'm okay. But it also putting the training in and all of that was so that then I could ski well enough to be able to enjoy the mountain with my family mm. and with my friends and, and be a peer as opposed to being, Oh yeah, yeah, no, you should come along with us. It'll be great. And we'll pick you out of the snowbank the whole time. And <laughs> we'll go on the, we'll go on the green runs with you. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you don't want to be that person. I totally agree. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a part of it. And it takes a lot of work sometimes just to get to that point. One with the equipment, two with the, with the training to get to that point where you actually are just a peer, which is a lot of what you are doing with the Kelly Brush Foundation is giving people that opportunity mm -hmm. to, to be a peer, to participate equally yeah. in life with their friends and family. And, and back to, so you had a super successful event that first year. And then did you think, well, we should turn this into a foundation? How did it, what was the thought process? How did that work? Yeah, so um, I had actually come up with the idea of the foundation earlier than the ride. So it was when I was still in rehab. So I was in rehab. I, I spent like two weeks in a hospital right after I got hurt. And then I was in rehab for another like two months, two and a half months after that. Um, and it was when I was in rehab that my, you know, I was talking with my family and we were trying to figure out like, what can be like, what good can come from this? You know, like this is a crummy situation, no doubt about it. And like, what can we do to make things better? What can, what good can we do? And we came up with the idea of the foundation and, it, and, um, you know, a lot of it was started around the idea of, of safety and ski racing. Cause that's how I got hurt. Um, but then, a, you know, bigger part, and certainly the part that's been, that we've been growing more, um, was about adaptive equipment. And I saw how impactful that was for me to be able to both learn about sports, but then get in a hand cycle for the first time, which I was able to do when I was in rehab and have that feeling of like the wind in my hair and, you know, breathing hard and my heart racing and all that stuff that you feel like an athlete again. Um, and that was so huge for me, but I also knew how expensive it was and, and how prohibitive that is for so many people. Um, and I didn't want that to be an issue, you know, like if somebody wants a hand cycle, they should be able to have a hand cycle, right? If, if you want to be able to go for a walk or a bike ride or go skiing with your kids, you should be able to do that. Um, so we came up with the idea of the foundation, you know, quite early on. Um, and then it was with the success of that first Kelly Brush ride that we decided to continue it um, and turn that into the, to the fundraiser for um, the foundation. Um, so, so that's been, you know, our marquee event ever since. Which is really amazing too, because so many organizations are trying to create that organic fundraising event that just, you know, has such a visceral pull for so many people. And, 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 and that's what it's been. I mean, it, it people are, people are flying across country to come to this. People are, you know, sleeping in their cars to come to this. You know, it's like, it's, it's pretty amazing the steps and, and they're strong arming their friends and saying, no, you have to come to this. You will love it. You will come back every year. I mean, you guys, you guys are so lucky in some ways to have created this organic event that makes perfect sense. Totally. Yeah. And it was, and it was, you know, I'd love to say it was well thought out, but it wasn't, <laughs> you know, it was really a bunch of college kids who, who planned the first ride. And the funny thing about it too, is the first, the, the loop that we did for the first year is not the same as what we do now, but it's not far off. Like that's, what's wild is like, it's, we, 
and we started at Middlebury College. It started and finished at Middlebury. We still do. Um, it was it was really organic the way that it that way that it started and the way that it's grown and and you're right there are people who you know come every year and they come from across the country and they love it and um it's cool we've had so so this is our 15th annual this year um and uh there are not that many but there are a handful of people who have done it every year which is amazing um and it's really cool. I mean, there's, it's just, I love to hear those stories and people talking about how much fun they have. And I love that because I have so much fun. I tell people all the time, it's my favorite day of the year. And I think people think I'm a little nuts uh, or they don't believe me. I don't know. Um, but it's really true because just like you said, it's like so fun and it's fun to see so many people there. And it's just, you know, everybody works hard and does, you know, something that's hard for them and then get to celebrate after and, celebrate the fundraising that they do, which is really, you know, the main, the main reason we do it. So. The main emphasis. I thought the first year that I did the hundred, because for a while I flew out and sort of borrowed a bike and, and rode with you and your father and which was, which was absolutely spectacular. But then I, three or four years ago, I guess I decided I wanted to do the full hundred. And I think I was the first, the first hand cyclist to, to do the full, the full hundred. And I remember kind of coming through and you, you know, you have to climb like Weybridge Hill and, and I remember climbing Weybridge Hill and, and that is, that's a fairly decent hill right there at the end. Like you're at 90, 90 something miles. Yeah. And that road basically brings you like, right. It's sort of rolling and brings you straight right into campus. And I thought, yeah. okay, this is it. But then there's a sign that says, no, you have to take a left turn. And then you're basically going, going around and then coming through town to come back through campus. And, and it, it was a bit heartbreaking at that moment because you're like, oh, I'm so close. Like I, I recognize as I know where I am. Yeah. But, but there was a part of me and it started, it started sort of drizzling. It was sort of like drizzling and kind of chilly and, and all that stuff. But there was a part of me that, that was connected to you as I was finishing and thinking, okay, well, this is like this, this suffering is, is nothing really, you know, like that, that I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of in the midst of Kelly's suffering. And if I'm suffering like this is, it's, it's even better. Did you get any of that from the ski team? Like these guys went out and, and rode a hundred miles that first year. And, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like, okay, I can do much more just because I'm doing it for Kelly in some ways, as opposed to doing it for myself, where it's like, all right, that hurts enough. I think I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I heard that from so many people and I still hear it now. I mean, one of my best friends from Middlebury who's on the ski team with me, she comes up and does the ride almost every year. And she still says that, you know, she says like, I'm doing this and I'm like plotting my way through now, you know, like 50 miles because she's a mom and you know that's hard too and you know she's she's doing that and she's like every time I think about that and I think about especially that first year and like the unknowns for for me and but for all of us and you know they didn't know what it was going to mean for me to be back at Middlebury and for me to be part of the ski team and and all the stuff that we were going to have to go through and yeah so they like I, I I hear that a lot that they're like think about that and sort of like gosh we did this and we're doing it because we're supporting you in this like tough time that you went through. It's, just, it's, it's pretty amazing when you think of that and you think of everybody and your friend now and, and what do you get because you get it sort of going full cycle right now, right? So, so you get the people who are doing the ride who are saying, you know, I'm doing this for you, but then you have the opportunity to then give a gift to, to someone else what are the responses that you get from the recipients, from the people who've received the equipment? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's incredible to see we, we, um, you know, hearing the feedback that we get, especially when we tell somebody that they've been awarded a grant is just like, it brings me back to when I first got my equipment and how meaningful that was. Um, but people are just so grateful to have this opportunity. Cause like I was saying before, like, you have this injury, right? And like most people 
get hurt like that and something weird happens and they get hurt right so one day they're normal and living their regular life and the next day they have this injury and they're living in a wheelchair um and and so now all of a sudden they have all these other obstacles that they never would have imagined um and take you know money out of it right like regardless of who you are you've got all this stuff that you need to deal with and and what what people want in that moment um is to be able to feel more like themselves before or feel happy in what they're doing um and so so what we have what i found and what we found at the foundation is that sports is a really powerful way to do that um and that people can really relate to sports and can use sports as a way to um feel like themselves again feel happy feel that energy um and then gain all of these other things like confidence um feeling more uh empowered to you know look for a job engage with friends engage with society you know have relationships all of these things that are sort of like normal life things that a lot of people feel like aren't available to them anymore after having an injury um and i and and i have found um that sports is a really powerful way to sort of bring that back to people um and we see that time and time again when we give these grants and they are like you know my life has changed i feel so much more empowered i feel so happy that i'm doing this i'm out i'm able to be active i've met so many friends to, through this um there's just so much positive that comes out of it that's not just sports you know it's not just riding a bike or going skiing it's engaging and doing all these other things and it's being cool to a certain extent i'm like the equipment makes you cool i've had numerous kids where it's like i'm putting my mono ski together you know at the bottom of the mountain and the kids come out like that, that's cool i want to do that you know and the parents are like yeah we'll talk about that we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that later but but it's it's the bond of what you're doing. It's I mean I think that oftentimes it's it's uh, you know it's, it's so hard sometimes to think how do we how do we create a connection with people or how do we how are we able to be seen the way that we want to be seen? And oftentimes it's you know it's like well you need to see me for who I am. Mm. And and we none of us like to be told what to do, you know, or what to think. Yeah. But but the flip side is when we're doing something that we both love you know it's like a passion and you're like oh like skiing like i mean it's the same it's got to be the same thing for you as it is for for me i mean we are now a little you a little less uh past our prime as far as, <laughs> as far as skiing is concerned but there's still that moment where you make that turn and you go oh like that's what it's all about that's the thing that's the thing we're searching for that moment and the thing about skiing that's actually really cool compared to a lot of other adaptive sports is it's so equalizing because there's gravity involved, right? So you can go the same speed as anybody else who's out there. You go up the same chairlift, you go down the same runs, you're doing all the same stuff um, as anybody else who's skiing. You're just sitting down in a monoski and they're standing up and like, who cares? What's the difference, you know? Um, but it is that. It's that it's having those equalizing moments compared to like hand cycling is wonderful, but a lot of times, you know, we're using our arms, people are using their legs. Yeah, you know, there's it's a bigger um, muscle group using your legs. So so sometimes it's hard to to go together. Not always. Someone like you, Chris, you go a lot faster than I do, so you go similar speed to a lot of regular bikers. But well, you've got um, that that hill in your town. <laughs> yeah it's true. i don't like that one yes that one goes up um yes i know exactly which one you're talking about mm -hmm. goes on up the on far. the route and that's yep. at like 80 miles or something like that or something it is it's right next to my parents house too it's a, it's a hill that i used to go up all the time when i would ride from there but <laughs> but but yeah i mean that's what that's why skiing i think is is so incredible is is because it's so equalizing that way um and because you can participate so so similarly to to anybody and, and yeah and it eventually gets to be social right i mean we ski raced for so long and it gets to be it's kind of like it's your job 
Mm-hmm. And, and then you retire and then you figure you ski with people and go, Oh, like, this is why I was skiing. You know, this is why I started as a little kid because it was just, it was just fun. And we hang out and go, do you want to ski that? Or do you want to ski this? Or what do you want to do? And you're not worried about getting hurt. I mean, sometimes you're worried about getting hurt, I guess, but <laughs> you try not to, but that's the, that's the cool part. And I also think skiing, the cool part is that I'm going up the lift as you're coming down. And so I'm watching you and then you're watching me and it's just kind of, it, it, it's, it, it's like, it's not in your face. Yeah. And it's really kind of fun that way. So the, the skiing, the sports, I mean, I, I think what you guys are doing is just, is just phenomenal because you're just, you're opening up a world for people where they get to do one thing and then they get to do something else and they move. And, and I think a lot of them also from, because I, I get to, I get to read a lot of these applications with all as well. And, and, and that there's a responsibility that they feel that, that they've been lucky to have been a recipient and they want to pay it forward and build a, build a better community as they move forward, which mm-hmm. for you in some ways, you did that as well. So, so you were in the hospital, you had doctors and nurses taking care of you. Mm-hmm. And then now you are a nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. How did how did that all happen? When did you decide that that you were going to go into into medicine effectively? Yeah. So I when I was a kid growing up, I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, so that was sort of like my my childhood dream. And then I just kind of like found a different path. When I was at Middlebury, I ended up taking like a I took a film class um, and ended up really liking it. And so I so I ended up being a film and media major. Um, and wanted to work in advertising, which I did right after I graduated. Um, and it was pretty shortly after that, that I realized that really wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and I really wanted to work in healthcare and, and, um, it just became like very obvious to me in a moment. It was sort of like an aha moment for me that like, I should be working in healthcare. This is what I've always wanted to do. This is where I belong. Um, a lot of it related back to my injury um, and, you know, the care that I got after my injury, how important that was, how great it was for me, um, really made me want to. Can you describe what what that's like? Like when you're in the hospital, you've had this this accident, catastrophic accident. What's what's your mindset and what is what is the help that you are getting at that point? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I think in so many ways, in that moment, there's so many questions. You just have no idea about anything, right? Like, what's my life going to look like? I remember asking things like, what's my life expectancy? Um, Can I still have kids? Um, You know, all of these questions that like are out there and you just have no idea. Plus, you're so vulnerable and you can't do anything for yourself in the beginning, right? Like, you're laying in bed. For me to, like, sit up was a feat. And to get into my wheelchair was, like, you had to learn how to do that. You didn't, you don't know how to do it. Um, so it's, like, all of these little things that, like, you can't get, like, learning how to get dressed. Um, you know, all of these things that are really, really basic human things are all of a sudden upended. Um, and you're and almost impossible. I mean, yeah. you go from being like fit and strong to the next day, you are the weakest person in the world. I mean, yeah. it's amazing, right? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and so you're totally reliant on all these healthcare providers. So particularly your nurses who are doing so much for you. Um, and, and, both like physically, definitely, but also like emotionally, right? They're the ones who are there for you, who are like answering a lot of these questions, or at least there when you're asking them or wondering about, you know, what your life is going to look like after this. Um, And so the nurses are there, the doctors, they're doing that. And that's um, the care that I got at that moment was so incredible. So both I, I was injured in Massachusetts at the Williams Carnival, like you said, um, and was at a random hospital in Western Massachusetts. Um, and I got great care there. And then I went out to 
um, Craig Hospital in Denver, which um, is, a, is a rehab hospital that specializes in spinal cord injuries. Um, and they, you know, they're just, they were so uplifting and so positive about my possibilities that I never doubted that. Um, and they were there to say like, yes, you can do this. Of course you can. We're going to figure it out. It's really hard right now and you can't do it now, but you're going to get there. And I did, right? Like by the end, I was able to get dressed and get in my wheelchair and sit up on my own and like these things that all of a sudden I couldn't do in the beginning. Um, and, and it's that, it's that like positive outlook that like can do attitude that sounds so like cheesy, but it's so real and so important. Well, especially when you don't know anything. I mean, you've, you've never, you know, you've, you've never sort of looked at wheelchairs, you know, prior to your accident going, oh, that looks like a really good wheelchair. Like if I ever needed a wheelchair, that's, that's one I'd want. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd want to, do I want a folding chair? Do I want a rigid chair? You know, what do I, you, you have no idea about these things at all. And, and it's changed. I mean, you went to a place, you went to Craig where, where they do have, where they have sports teams that are part of the part of the organization, you know, and, and and but so different than it had been prior to that. I mean, even I mean, like for me, my my accident was was in '88. So so this is you know so so what is it like 18 years or something like that yeah. difference between you and but it's a but it was a world of difference. Like nobody, I don't think anybody was talking to me about sports. I think I had. I had seen the Boston Marathon. Mm. And so you see the wheelchairs there. And I remember the year that there was the crash, which I think was 86 or 87. It was a big crash at the start of the Boston Marathon, just all these wheelchairs. And, but oh, yeah. I mean, you, you think the thing that everybody else thinks like, wow, like that guy looks really strong when he goes by. <laughs> and, and that's kind of all you think. And I've been at a ski race at Burke and Diana Golden went to the race and Diana Golden had been a, a single leg amputee and she was just at a regular it was like I think it was like I think it was just like a Vera race or something like that like an open race but it was you know there were a lot of people who were there but it was but anyway it was one of those races that I one of those times I saw her and but I hadn't seen anything like we talk you talk about the monoski like you got your monoski I'd never seen anybody ski in a monoski I'd never seen a monoski the friends of Middlebury skiing bought my first monoski and we put it together. My coach, Barb Bradford at the time, put it together. He and I went to the bowl. And of course, you know, everybody at the Middlebury Snow Bowl is so super supportive. And they're, what can we do? How can we do? We're going to do whatever we need to do. I mean, they would have, you know, pulled me up by the, by the, uh, by the snowcat if, if they wanted, if, you know, if I needed to or whatever, you know, they would have, they would have done anything. They probably would have like pushed snow around to make it for, make it a little a little trail for me or whatever, but yeah. I've never seen anybody, you know? And I think that yeah. that's something that changes generationally where yeah. you don't have to go through that period leaving the hospital mm -hmm. and, and you go, okay, well, I'm not strong enough right now, but I know that I can get back to being some semblance of who I was. But, you know, a lot of the people that you're helping out don't have, don't have that same luxury in some ways they didn't have the same experience and so you're giving such a great gift yeah yeah there's i mean people get hurt all over the country obviously um and and people end up at, at rehab hospitals everywhere and some are lucky enough to be at one that specializes in spinal cord injuries and many many people aren't and so it's a lot um it's a lot about what you learn there and and what um what you have you know access to right after your injury with sort of what you know about. And there are people that come out of rehab that don't know that any kind of adaptive sports exist. Um, and, and that's, that's so unfortunate. Um, um, you know, hopefully um, we're trying to find ways to, to solve that problem, but um, you know, having that, I remember being in rehab and we had like a adaptive sports, I mean, adaptive sports like day that we learned about all this stuff and all this equipment got brought in and I got to actually get in a mono ski. Um, they like knew I was a skier and everything. So they did it. So I like popped in one and like, you know, I'm like sitting in the hospital. So 
but it was cool. It was like great to, to see what it looked like and feel what it felt like to be in it. And, um, it was great. It was so like motivating, you know, I was so excited about it. And just it planted that seed, right? I mean, it planted that seed that, okay, this, this, this will be okay. Cause even, you know, I think that the, the risk, even, even like for me is that thought was life as I know it could be over. Yes, absolutely. Me and, too. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's what happens, right? Cause and that's, that's what you, that's what in a lot of ways we've been conditioned to kind of think and, and even skiing, I skied at Middlebury that first winter and then, and I went to nationals. I actually went to a bunch of the carnivals and stuff like that. I mean, I didn't beat anybody or, you know, I was lucky to make it down. And, and I went out and I skied with this guy, Jim Martinson, who had built my first monoski, the shadow monoski. And I got off the lift and watched him ski. And I think for, I think like, like I exhaled, like I was finally like relieved. I watched him and went, oh, so you actually can really ski. Like it's not just making it down the hill, which is effectively is what I was doing. And oftentimes not all that well, trying to make it down the hill. But, but so, you know, you can have a full life too, you know? And I think that we were talking earlier about, about some of the challenges that you're willing to do. Like, I know that you have two children and I had to ask you earlier and I'll ask you again, like how hard was it to be pregnant in a wheelchair because I know when I put something on my lap and I try to go up a ramp that suddenly I'm not nearly as strong as I as I was how hard was that for you and you not only did you do it once you did it twice I did it twice I know I don't know what I was thinking um no I'm just kidding there's they're two beautiful girls so um yeah I mean it was hard no doubt about it it was like yeah you think you put like a basketball on your lap and then you can't lean forward which means you have no leverage to push your wheelchair so you're so all of a sudden so like you said it's just like it's just like having something on your lap that like you can't lean forward and you can't push your wheelchair and you're so much weaker um so that was so tough um but in a you know in a lot of ways it wasn't as bad as i was expecting um you know i had no idea what to expect in the beginning i didn't know if i was going to be able to like get my chair in and out of my car. Cause I bring my chair, you know, when I get in my car, I get in my car and then I take my chair apart and bring it across over my body and put it into the passenger seat. And suddenly so there's not as much room there's to bring your chair. Space, yeah, between me and the steering wheel. And I didn't know if I was gonna be able to fit. I mean, thankfully I was, and it, and it wasn't, it didn't become nearly, you know, the issue that I was expecting for that. Um, but it was that sort of stuff that like, I had no idea about. Um, and just like, you know, the crummy parts about being crummy were still crummy, you know, like you, I didn't sleep well and all that kind of stuff. Um, You're not any different than anybody else in that respect. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, there was, there was a lot, um, there was a lot that's unknown about being pregnant and having a spinal cord injury and what, um, you know, what you can uh, what's going to happen with labor and what you need to do for that and all of that sort of stuff. Thankfully, everything went really smoothly for me. Um, and I had a really good supportive team around me. So that was all nice. And, um, you know, I, I'm very happy I did it. I was very glad that that could still be part of my life and be something that I did because it was a big, you know, it was something, I always, I always took for granted the fact that I one day would have kids and then all of a sudden I had my spinal cord injury and I wondered if that was true. Um, and thankfully for me, it was. And I'm so happy that I was able to do that and have that be part of my life. Am, am I allowed to ask how, how much weight you gained? Because it's, it's sort of important just because anytime you're doing a, a transfer, that's like doing a dip. Really, totally. right? So, yeah, um, yeah, you're totally allowed to ask. Nothing, nothing's off limits for me. Um, yeah, so I actually had a funny thing. I gained, I didn't gain very much weight. I gained 20 pounds with my first, and tw- uh, not, and like 23 or four pounds with my second, which they want you to gain like 25 to 35 pounds. Um, and so with both of mine, I was gaining weight up until like, I don't know, 30 weeks or so, and then I like didn't gain any more weight, which was really weird. I, it always like made me nervous, but they kept being like, baby's fine. And I was like, 
okay. I was eating plenty, so I don't know what was up with that. I think that's just my body and what that does. But, but I was thankfully able to continue to like transfer and do all those things. Um, and because, and I, and I never noticed a difference. Obviously it was like incremental, incremental weight gain compared to like, you know, plopping a 25 pound weight on my shoulders. That would have been harder. That would have been harder. Um, but, so were you much stronger afterwards after, after you came out or, or is that like, you're just so sleep deprived and whatever that you feel like exhausted all the time anyway you know that's actually a really funny thing i wasn't like lifting weights so i didn't like notice that like that went up because i don't really lift weights that fair enough i just don't um but um no i don't know i think after after i had both babies i then like sat around so much and like you know was just like taking care of the baby that i probably lost a lot of that strength that i had gained just from that extra weight um, cause I was doing a lot less. I wasn't like exercising or anything, um, really at all other than, other than my normal daily things like transferring and stuff, but transferring and, and we're, you know, it, was it really like you had to concentrate when you, when you were transferring, like, okay, let's make sure I don't want to be the pregnant woman in a wheelchair sitting on the ground in, in you know, and it, it rains occasionally in Vermont and, you know, sitting in a puddle on the ground with some passerby like, Hey, Hey, can you uh, can you just throw me in my car here? I mean, you did you really have to concentrate, or how did that work? That's so funny you say that. Well, actually, uh, the one transfer that I that I had the hardest time with was getting into bed, um, which is funny enough. Um, I think it might have must have been just because it was like squishy and so whatever. So um, so if I fell there, then I would just be at home, and usually my husband was home, so he could help if I needed it, but. Um, but that was the one that I had to like, I did actually have to like, think about it. I was like, all right, throw my body, <laughs> you know, like back to basics on how you transfer. Um, but, um, you know, and the other ones I didn't have to do as much, but that one definitely I had to like, think about it and, uh, like not, not, uh, not mess it up because. And you didn't have to think about it, like getting into the car, the, the, okay, there's not that much space here. How am I? fitting my new self <laughs> yeah yeah no it didn't it wasn't that bad it was you know the car the car transfer was one i was worried about but i was able to always it never like felt it never felt that hard hmm. so interesting that's lucky again i think because it was incremental you know like i didn't go from like nothing to having this like giant basketball in my stomach it was like slowly increasing in size so i probably was compensating a lot as I went for like how I, how I did things. That way. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, one of the things that I have no experience with whatsoever, <laughs> really. So well, how long did it, oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you, you're, you're the star here. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is like, I didn't really either. I didn't really have a lot of people who I talked to about pregnancy or anything, even though I know a lot of people in, you know, this bottom cord injury world, for whatever reason, I didn't have that many people that, that I knew at least recently had had kids. So I didn't have a lot of people to ask questions of. So I kind of just figured things out on my own. Kind of interesting. I mean, that just seems like one of those that you would, re it would be really nice to have somebody say, look, this is what's going to go on. This is the progression. This is how, you know, this or that. It, it would be really helpful. How long after afterwards did you did you go back to work were you were you working as a nurse, nurse practitioner prior to having the babies and then yeah 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 so i so i worked um so i graduated from grad school in 2013 and started working later that year basically as a nurse practitioner um so and then i had my um, first daughter in 2016 so i'd worked for a few years and then i had her i took off with her i actually ended up moving i lived in maine and had her there then i moved to vermont so i took a little extra time i took like uh not quite five months but almost five months with her um off before going back to work and then with my other daughter i took a little more than three months um, and was that a challenge? I mean, this is, this is like, you're, you're taking your baby somewhere, right? And it's one of those like, okay, I'm going to put you on my lap. Don't move. Like stay there. 
I know one of my buddies that I raced with this guy, Scott Hollenbeck, he had like a, he had like one of those, one of those like PT straps kind of thing that, that he would strap around himself and around the baby and like, okay, you're locked in. This is the way it works. Totally. Um, yeah. So uh, that was all a learning process. This is all stuff that I like had to figure out. So it was like, how do you carry the baby at all? I ended up using one of those carriers. So like the things that like you put the baby in like a little pouch on the front of you. Mm -hmm. um, it took me like multiple tries of which ones worked. Um, and I figured out because normally they have like a strap that goes around your waist so that like it keeps more weight like on your on your waist. Um, but that those didn't work because I'm sitting and so it would ride up too much. So there's stuff like that that I just had to figure out. So I ended up getting ones that just went over your shoulders and that actually worked great. Um, so I did that and then there's actually this this um, I saw an ad for this. I don't know where, but um, it's like this lap belt thing, just like you talked about, and it's made for sitting. So the, they advertise it by like, you, you know, if you want to like use both hands to eat dinner, to like cut your food, you can like, you strap this thing that goes around your waist and then it Velcros around the baby too. So then you can like put that there and then you can use your hands to like use the computer or use like cut your food or whatever. Um, and, uh, uh, I, and I was like, well, that's perfect for somebody in a wheelchair because you're always sitting. So I used that and that thing was incredible. So I used that for both my girls. Um, and that was like the best thing I ever found. Um, because I was able to strap them on. I actually still put, so my, so my younger one is 15 months. And if I'm going out, like if I'm in the house, she'll stay on me. But if I'm going out and needing to do anything like out and about and I want to make sure she stays on me I'll use that still and strap her on me so that she doesn't fall off or I don't have to worry about her going off that is amazing now okay the other the other challenge because because babies don't you know they don't start walking like day one kind of thing it's sort of this this like lump of baby kind of thing and you're responsible yeah and, and so getting off the floor you're what t6 T T seven. T seven. Okay. And, and so you don't have, you don't have those stomach muscles where you can go reach down with both hands and sort of pick up. It's, this is the one hand. Do you take like, you know, like a, like the handle from a milk jug or something like that and somehow like strap it to the, to the baby so you can pick the baby up with one hand. How does this work? So I had all of those questions. Um, you know what I ended up doing? is I would literally, they would be like, I'd pick them up like a cat. Like, like okay. I, they have a onesie on and I just, so if they're like laying on their back on the floor, I just grab like the scruff of their neck. So I just pick up like on their shirt and pick them up. So I can hold on like with one hand on my wheelchair and bend over and pick them up off the floor and put them on my lap. Did you get That's just like strange looks from people as you did this? Yeah. Well, I would do it like when I would, I would put them down at daycare that way. I remember walking in when they were like, when I was first doing drop-offs at, at daycare and like, normally you like hand the baby over to one of the, the teachers or whatever. Um, but, but um, I remember a few times, like all the, they, they, you know, there's tons of kids getting dropped off at the same time. And so they were busy and I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to put her down. And I like put her down that way. And I think people were like kind of horrified. They were like, Ugh. it worked fine. She was totally safe, but like, she's not crying or anything or going, this is, yeah, this is just what we do. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure I had people like watching me a little nervous about it, but it totally worked. And the thing about it that was really cool that I have found is like, my kids have adapted to me. Like they know me in a wheelchair and that's just what that is. And so they know like, how to maneuver around my chair. They know how to like climb up on it. So they have like a foothold where they like step up like by my caster and then climb up onto my lap and like all this stuff that's just like, they're so comfortable in my chair. My four-year-old has just recently started getting in my chair. Um, so when I'm out of it, she'll hop in it and wheel around, um, which she had never really done before. Um, but it's just really cool. They figure out how to, they adapt to us as much as we adapt to them. So. Which you see at work as well, right? So, so you work in pediatrics. Yep. And 
So, so that's part of why did you end up going with kids? Why, why kids? Why, why the youngsters? Yeah, well, it's actually an interesting question. So I'm trained as a family nurse practitioner. Um, that's what I went to school in and that's what I'm certified in. Um, and I sort of fell into pediatrics a little bit. I ended up my first job. I really wanted to work at this certain practice and they had an opening for a family nurse practitioner that then they were like, actually, we're going to hire for, for just pediatrics. Do you still want it? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I loved it. And I was, ne I was like, I'm never going back. So I worked in pediatrics from day one. Um, but, um, you know, it's so, it's so great because I'm able to have kids that see my chair and react to it in really fun ways. Um, and they're like totally unfiltered and ask those questions that like their parents don't want to ask or, um, you so know, what are the craziest questions you've had? What? Uh, what are the craziest questions? You know, one of the questions that I get a lot is how do I sleep? Um, because kids <laughs> which is so funny. I mean, it's, it happens all the time, right? Yeah. Do you get that question too? I do. Like when I talk at schools, they're like, so, so how do you sleep? I'm like, I get out of my chair and I get into bed. And like, totally. <laughs> they don't like, because when they think paralyzed, they think you can't move. And so you're like stuck here. So they just think you like can't get out of your chair. So I get that question a lot. Um, Park you in the I, corner, plug you in kind of thing. Like you're yeah. being all recharged for the next Recharge day. It. <laughs> um, I get kids like, especially the littler kids who don't have a lot of words. So, you know, like one and two year olds will be like truck. And I'm like, sure. It's like a truck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's stuff like that. Kids get really into it. They'll also like come over and realize that it moves. So then they're like wheeling my wheels around and like really trying to move me, which I always find is like, I love that they're exploring my chair. And then when they're just like constantly back and forth, I'm like, okay, I, we do have to do some things here. <laughs> I get that. I get that all the time. Just like, you know, like waiting for, for a flight at an airport or something. Yeah. And you're just there and you're probably, you know, like checking your email or doing whatever. And all of a sudden you're moving and you're like, hold on, hold on. Why am I moving? What's going on? And there's some kid like wheel move. And you're like, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Hold on. That is what happens. Well, what's fun about it and what's actually funny and, and been fun to see with my own kids is like, the difference between my kids reaction to my wheelchair and other kids that don't see it all the time. So like my kids don't um, like, they aren't surprised by it, right? So they don't go up and like move it all the time or try to wheel me or like move the wheels just like randomly. Um, but other kids do because yeah. it's new, right? Because they don't see it all the time. Um, and so it's, it's something that they're, they're not used to. And so they are like, want to try this thing out, um, which is um, really kind of um, fun to see and to see the difference. Well, it's, I mean, it's kind of cool because, because it is disarming for the kids, you know, it's not like they're like, oh, she's broken, you know, like, don't touch her. She's fragile. Like, they're like, well, this is kind of, this is cool. Yeah. You know, or like, when are you going to get out of that so I can get into it? <laughs> yeah, I actually have gotten that a lot. They're like, can I try it? And I'm like, nah, not right now. <laughs> Especially when I'm in a rush. Like, if I'm behind, I'm like, we got it. I'm sorry. We got to move on. Um, you know, but actually, one of the things that I really love the most about it is, for one, with, with all the kids that I see, it allows them to see somebody different than what they expect. And to see somebody with a disability doing something that's really helping them um, and not in a situation where I need help. Um, and so I love having that and having that example for all the kids that I see. Um, and then I also, we have a lot of kids in our practice with special needs. Um, and so having them be able to see somebody who has a special need also, or does things a little bit differently and being able to use that as an example and say like, you can do whatever you wanna do and have them just like, without putting that like in their face too much, but still being able to have them see me as doing something that I love to do, that's productive, that's helpful to other people. And hopefully they can use that and be, you know, and wanna do that themselves is, is incredible so that's yeah. sort of like a silver lining of what I do and I love that that's part of it 
you've got some serious street cred. You know, they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're like, yeah, no, I kind of do. They're like, yeah, I know. It's really nice when that happens too. I'm like, I got this. I know exactly what I'm talking about here because I've been through it. Um, I never want to have that happen, but it does. Oh, that's funny. So we have we have a question. So Steve Raymond, who's is one of the yeah. uh, co-chairs of of the the Adaptive Spirit event, asks about uh, about fundraising. Like, what's the, what's the fundraising climate right now for the foundation? I mean, certainly with COVID nineteen and any any recent success stories. Um, that's a really good question. Yeah. So just like. I mean, everybody right now, this is totally unprecedented and we've all had to pivot. Um, we were in, in March, we do two grant cycles every year. We do a fall and a spring cycle. Um, and our spring cycle, you know, COVID hit, you know, middle of March and our, our deadline was the end of March. So we got like over, we got like 120 grant applications, which is a big year for us. We usually get about a hundred. Um, for adaptive sports equipment and our board put a hold on spending, you know, any non-essential spending held because nobody knew what was going to happen. So all of a sudden we were like, do we have to cancel this? What are we act like? That seems so unfortunate because this is what we, you know, do. Um, and we were actually able to pivot really well and we used applications and went to specific donors and said, here's a person who, has applied right now, if you're able to fund this, you by yourself or you and a few friends, this person can get their equipment. Um, and we had a ton of success with that. Um, so we were really, really lucky to be able to pivot that way and be able to fundraise because we canceled two fundraising events. So the Kelly Brush Ride that we talked a lot about is our biggest fundraiser, um, but we have a bunch of other ones and we canceled our second biggest fundraiser, which is Inspire Boston, an event in Boston, um, and Inspire Vermont, which, so, so Inspire Boston was March 26th, um, so that was unfortunate. Yeah. And Inspire Vermont was, was supposed to be the beginning of May. So both of those were canceled. And so all of a sudden our, our fundraising, fundraising was upended. So we've had a, we've had a lot of success with, with that model that we used. Um, and now our hope is that, you know, we're doing the Kelly Brush Ride um, virtually this year. So we're not getting together in Middlebury. Um, but that actually opens it up to a lot of a lot more people that people can be involved all over the country, no matter where you are. So our hope is that we can try to get more people involved and people excited about fundraising for this type of equipment that everybody's doing things at home right now, right? Um, you're not going to programming, you're not getting, um, you know, trying adaptive equipment through other means. If you have it at home in your garage, you can go. If you don't, you can't really. So we're fundraising for people to get more equipment in their garage so they can go out and be independent and active on their own terms. So that's which our is, hope. Which it's is great. Time. Yeah, so you were able to go to friends of, the, friends of the foundation and they totally stepped up. I mean, it might not be that you're able to do that every year, yeah. but in, in this kind of an extreme situation, but it'll be really interesting to see how the virtual ride works out because it could be, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering what that, computer screen will look like with 900, 1,000, 1,500 people on that screen. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a cool story and you probably have a variety of other ways that people will want to stay connected to their friends and connected to, to the event and, and, and want to tell their story. So, so it might be something that really builds on itself in a, in a super cool way. So Fingers yeah. crossed. I will. I will join. I am. I am riding. I went out for a ride earlier today. So. Uh, so I am. I am planning to be there. Cool. We are. We are getting close to the end, and I don't want to take too much of your time. But we started with the idea of community, and mm -hmm. and obviously you saw a lot of community as a result of your accident, but a lot of the supportive community, it, it can be a, a challenge for them too, right? I mean, the mm -hmm. with, with your with your friends and your family. Uh, what, what's the challenge that they see when somebody has a debilitating accident and or event and, and, and how, how 
how can we help them? How can, how can we, you know, have people be armed and ready? So it's a really good question and it's so important. You know, I had so much support. I talked about the ski team at Middlebury and the ski community and then the Middlebury community, but also my family. My family was hugely supportive um, and I couldn't have asked for anything more, but you know, their lives changed too. And there are things like my sister and I, that we, we've got kids similar ages and, you know, there are things that we would go do all the time. Um, there's things that we do together all the time. And there's things that are a lot harder now because I'm in a wheelchair and there's things that like, you know, she, we would easily just like hop in the car and go do together if I didn't have my accident. And now we're not able to. So they have to sort of go through a grieving process also. Um, and, you know, the thing that I do and that I try to focus on the most is I focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. And like, sure, there are things like that that are harder, you know, stuff like going to the beach together. Like it wouldn't be that easy for me to just go to the beach with her to get on the beach and go swimming, not to mention managing our kids, you know, and she'd have to manage them all. And, you know, it would just be kind of a mess. And, and, but I think about, you know, there's other things that we can do. And I focus on those things that I can do, not what I can't do. Um, and I try to have my family do the same thing. And, and for me, you know, kind of leading by example in that um, is the best way that I can, I can manage it. It's an interesting situation, isn't it? Because in a lot of ways, you're the person who, who has undergone this life-changing event. But you're also the person who, in a lot of ways, has to tell everybody else that it's okay. Like they feel like they're supporting you and going, Kelly, it's going to be fine. You're going to be good. You know, there's a skiing thing. You can go do that or you can, you know, there's all this equipment. It'll be great. But, but you're, you know, you, you're the one who's like, it's, it's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. Yeah. Because they don't have as much that they can really do. They, they, they can't affect a change. And so, 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 you know, a lot of that message in some ways is, is that being here, being supportive, the unconditional love, the, you know, just, just knowing that you're here and that you're not going to leave is, is, is a big part of it, I think, right? I mean, it, it, I would imagine that was for me and yeah. I imagine it, it's the same thing for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a huge part of it. It's just, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just knowing, knowing I have the support of my family and, and my family has my support too. You know, it goes both ways. It's a two way street that way. And, and, you know, things aren't that different. Things are okay in both ways, you know, sure. There's some stuff that has to be a little bit different, but that's okay. Yeah. You know? And your family's completely involved in yeah. what's going in in the foundation, right? I mean, it's just yeah. it was fun to ride with your ride with you and your father. Uh, your mother is always riding. Zeke Zeke is riding. Zeke Zeke's the executive director of the foundation now, isn't he? Your your husband? Yep. Yeah. So he's my he's my husband and the executive director. Uh, he's been almost six years now that he's been running it. So yeah, I mean, they're super involved in my sister, same thing. Um, so they've been, you know, my dad, while I like started the foundation, it was really our family and my dad in the beginning that really like took it and ran with it. Um, Cause I was like a college student and then I, you know, was working and then I was in grad school and you know, he was like, he really did a lot in the beginning. Um, and sponsors really and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, we had somebody always who ran it. Um, um, so we always had an executive director and then our staff has since grown from, from then. Um, but he was like, you know, the heart behind it in the beginning for sure. Um, and, and that was incredible. And he still is, I mean, he's still super involved. He's on the board and, and my mom and, and my sister too. So it's, and, and, um, and Zeke too. So it's, it's a family, it's, it's, you know, we feel really passionate about it and it's definitely, you know, something that we love and want to do. And it's a, it's just been incredible that what we've been able to do with the foundation since I got hurt and something that we obviously would never have done had, had this not happened. So. Well, which is funny because you said earlier that the ride is your favorite day of the year. Yeah. And I would imagine that, that the rest of your family would echo that sentiment. Yeah. 
I think they would too. Yeah. I mean, actually, it's interesting. It'd be fun to ask them, but I think they feel the same way. So like you said, it's like a Jimmy Buffett concert, but it's true. It's like a huge reunion. It's so many of our friends and family and tons of people we don't know, but just like the energy and the fun that's there um, for the foundation and what we're doing it for is so powerful and so meaningful to us. And, you know, um, it was, I mean, I got to say it was hard in the beginning. We were doing it a lot as a family and boy, that was, that was, that was hard. <laughs> a lot of work. Um, yeah. Uh, and disagreements and all that. But <laughs> thankfully we have wonderful people who have, who have helped us with it and who, who run it, uh, you know, since then and done an incredible job and, um, and you know, the love that we have for it and the energy that we put in and, you know, what we, what we get out of it too, though, like the, you talked about before, like what we hear from our grant recipients and from the community that we help is just so impactful and like, so it makes it, makes us want to do it so much more. Well, it's, it's nice of you to throw a party for the ski community, really, yeah. is what it comes out for 900 people in the ski community. It's really, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and, disclaimer like you don't have to be part of the ski community to come do this as well no. yes, you, totally. you can come join and it's and you will have an absolutely spectacular time uh, it's what it's it's been like two years of rain or something like that over like the last 40 years or something on that oh weekend. it's been like so we've done it for 15 years the first year was the was the or the second i should say was the rainiest year and then we've had one other year that we had a lot of rain that came home, came through at like four o'clock so like the end of the day and then like a couple years with like some rain here and there but that is it i mean it is knock on wood we're due for a really bad year but um it's uh we've had incredible weather it's always the Saturday after Labor Day. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, first weekend at school and, and it's usually just an absolutely beautiful time. Fall is a great, great, great time to be, especially early fall is a great time to be in Vermont. So thank you, Kelly, so much for joining us. Can, can I give a little plug? I mean, one, I'm gonna plug our stuff. Uh, that if that if anybody wants to watch any of the previous ones that we've done, the previous name tags chats, they can go to the name tags uh, to the One Revolution channel on on YouTube. So we have we had uh, Jason Fowler, we had uh, Eric Kondo, we had Bonnie St. John, and so now you are our fourth one that that we're at, we actually have the recording for, which is great. Cool. But also, please go to to the Kelly Brush Foundation. So it's Kelly Brush foundation.org right yes okay and and sign up and ver ride virtually this is we're approaching july 4th weekend this is going to give you two months to get in shape and and go ride with a whole bunch of people and raise some money for just some absolutely amazing stuff and and changing people's lives and uh it's yeah it do it virtually this year and then hopefully next year we are able to get back and do it in person again. So, you know, we say that, that, that getting together, it's, it's a celebration of a summer's worth of, of fundraising and training. So, you know, doing that and, and celebrating on September 12th and doing it all virtually this year would be awesome. So, um, yeah. you know, thank you, Chris, this is great. And anybody, we would love to have everybody involved. Exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've known you since since the beginning. And somewhere since the beginning of this, Forrest, your coach, called me from the hospital and said, what's going on? I'm like, I know. All right, I'll tell you what I know. So you well, now are telling so many other people. You have been extremely helpful and, uh, you know, uh, a really good person to follow in your footsteps. So. Well, so likewise, it's, it's, it's a bad, I'm following uh, in your footsteps too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tired, tired tracks, whatever, whatever we want to call it to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be accurate, I guess. So thank you, Kelly. This is awesome. And look forward to seeing you guys soon and be safe and be healthy. Thank you. You too, Chris. Nice to All see right. you. This was fun. Take care. Thanks.